do you watch anything recently besides what was the i mean I, I did i did barbenheimer weekend of course uh the biggest weekend on film going yeah. uh no i did have a big weekend for movies because they also there's a uh tv show i love called the venture brothers that has been mm -hmm. on the air for 20 years now off and on usually with like three years in between seasons and um somehow in the midst of all the david zaslav of it all at, at cartoon network and at adult swim they were able to make a a feature film to wrap out the the show uh mm -hmm. instead of just being canceled outright so uh that came out this weekend so that was that was a big that was a big moment for me yeah so uh so watch that and watch barbie and watch oppenheimer so it was it was a it was a hell of a weekend for for film viewing i was gonna see barbie but i was in austin at the time by like super hot um but i was i was gonna see barbie everything sold out mm -hmm. everything uh i ended up going to theater camp which i really enjoyed because as someone who's who was a counselor briefly at a theater camp uh during the summer i i get it but yeah it was <laughs> like I, I, te I texted you saying like I've never seen theaters like this. Just like popcorn everywhere, trash everywhere, soda fountains out. The Barbie display was barely standing where I was at in Austin. Yeah, our our little theater near my house opened like during quarantine, so the those employees weren't ready for this, you know. I'm sure I'm sure there was some some like veteran who had come from another theater that was like, You guys will you guys will never know what it was like when Infinity Just War like, came out. Like smoking a cigarette in the yeah. dark corner. You you guys you guys weren't around for in game. You'll never know. <laughs> or you guys weren't around for the Potter Midnights because like the that that's the the biggest comparison that I've seen is like when the last few Potters uh, premiered, mm -hmm. like their midnights were insane at my hometown. Mm -hmm. That's honestly kind of the close in terms of just like the magnitude of it, like the cultural like kind of presence of it all and cosplaying like i would go to marvel stuff i never really saw people dressed up in outfits for marvel uh, for me at least mm -hmm. potter i did and this was the closest i've seen to it speaking of i guess uh cultural phenomenons let's talk about alan minkin thomas. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best segue but i am brand sparks and i'm thomas horton and this is a nation podcast and like i said as we went through all those movie talk of this past weekend this month we've been talking about alan minkin and and kind of tandem with this Disney Renaissance period. This, however, is a little bit different today. We're talking about really Alan Menken in a later Disney project, but mm -hmm. it kind of rounds out his his well, not rounds out. He's still making stuff for Disney, but it's kind of a good kind of I guess narrative that we've been telling this month around Alan Menken and mm -hmm. kind of puts him where he's at now and kind of his relationship with Disney, but other things as well. Um, but with all that, what have we talked about so far this month about Alan Minken and Disney animation and all that? I mean, we've, we've spent a lot of time, you know, on his his partnership with Howard Ashman, uh, who mm. he came up with and who he together, they kind of pioneered the the resurgence of Disney animated musicals and then Ashman's early passing and and Minken on, on the heels of Ashman's passing, Minken having oscars upon oscars and disney kind yeah. of being like okay well now you you have to keep this going you've got to keep the ball rolling yeah. uh so his collaboration with kind of other lyricists which is what what ashman uh ashman's role and and how minkins kind of worked with these other lyricists as it's gone on he's had some hits some misses 
and you know whether or not anyone's really kind of able to capture that magic of the initial ashman and minkin uh collaborations yeah like you said we in terms of lyricists he's worked with he's done he worked with um tim rice he he worked with stephen schwartz one we didn't mention in one of the episodes this month was uh david zippel who worked with him on hercules was the big one Mm. um and today you're talking about glenn slater he also had a different one on newsies is what it was who was Mm -hmm. i think friedman was his name Uh, feldman jack feldman so he's worked with so many different lyricists but he's had to kind of continue to have his own stamp on it all and like Mm -hmm. you said he had to kind of replace ashman in a way in terms of the creative force behind it and it's interesting seeing how he adapts throughout throughout this month but also especially as a composer with the scores of his movies but also especially with this episode i think we'll see the most where you'll see everything kind of tie back together in a way if that makes sense like there's a lot of like connections i think with today's movie uh with some of the previous films at least both in animation quality in terms of how they 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 animate the story or structure the story Mm -hmm. but also musically as well but it's been a very interesting month yes um and then today we're talking about kind of minkin's return to the the disney brand in a way even though he was actually kind of working consistently with them during during his break um we're talking about tangled from 2010 and this was kind of seen as a almost like beginning of a a new for them because it was when they'd right after they changed regimes with disney bought pixar the pixar uh leadership came over and started doing disney animation and so things like tangled wreck it ralph frozen are all kind of movies that benefited from this regime change basically yes yeah yeah i feel like when they were like uh because you know i've told i told the story about home on the range when they were like oh we're we're getting rid of hand-drawn animation and then i feel like the big one they dropped when they were like disney animation is computer generated now and then it was chicken little and then everybody was like "Ugh." Ugh. and then it was and then it was uh mitha robinson's was like Mm -hmm. right after that um but yeah and those were done by other like kind of disney branches because there's like disney toon studio i believe was another one so like no one really knew what to do with animation is what it was at this after home on the range specifically um which will be a key point of of today's uh (laughs) story um but yeah no one really knew what to do and it's like and i think too he'll come into play a little bit today as well but katzenberg and dreamworks were really having really kind of taking the thunder Mm -hmm. away from disney in the 2000s it's like in a way they took what disney did with aladdin and just like amplified it of making like irreverent comedies meta comedies with pretty much the shrek series becoming becoming massive but then Mm -hmm. you also had things like i'm not exactly sure on the years but like you have kung fu panda come out you get Um, you get the uh you know what they refer to as like dreamworks face where it's like everybody on all the posters is like the one like sassy guy with his eyebrow up and his arms crossed and like every dreamsworks movie was that for a while yes (laughs) b movie over the hedge shark uh, uh, shark's tale was that one shark's tale oh yeah, yeah, yeah yeah But it's like, but even Shark Tale, it's like it's it's literally a picture of of little fish and shark like smiling, <laughs> is the thing. Um, 
but yeah it was it was very much like they kind of took hold of i mean in a way it's similar to what ha- you see with like um illumination now in a way where mm-hmm. a br- brand comes up overtakes the public consciousness for for a while and everyone tries to emulate that like that becomes i think a reoccurring theme we see and dreamworks kind of became that brand uh entangled i think weirdly feels like the most direct like uh answer in a way yeah yeah like we can be disney but we can also kind of be be, dreamworks exactly we can be adventure heavy but also like um somewhat like comedic and the comedic sidekicks are like more over the top than we've really kind of ever seen before Mm -hmm. with the animals and stuff um but yeah you're really seeing that here with tangled and so tangled just to kind of give uh the brief who's involved with this it's directed by nathan uh nathan grino byron howard screenplay by dan fogelman yeah i didn't realize that until this past time rewatching yeah. it yeah i i did not realize that either and now i i wonder why mandy Moore got this is us <laughs> Um, but he also was a writer on Bolt, is what it was. And cars. I did, I did remember when I did the um, Crazy Stupid Love episode that he had done like Cars and a couple of other yes. kids movies. But I, I didn't remember that Tangled was one of them. Yeah. But yeah, he he I guess was involved in this um, with music by Alan Menken, uh, music or score by Alan Menken, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by the lyricist being Glenn Slater, and uh, stars Mandy Moore as Rapunzel. Zachary Levi as Flynn Ryder and Donna Murphy as Mother Gothel. And basically, if you know the Rapunzel story, she's trapped in a tower. She wants to come down. Uh, well, I think in the, in the original story, it's a prince, right? I guess is the prince. Mm-hmm. I haven't read Brothers Grimm in a while. But yes. basically, in this yeah, one, yeah. Flynn Ryder, who's this kind of adventure hero, wanders upon Rapunzel, who is stuck in the tower. She wants to go find out what these lanterns are after all these years. And what you find out is that Mother Gothel kidnapped her to stay young actually i actually did not realize i was looking it up last night because i was like i wonder where the name rapunzel comes from and like the version of it that's in into the woods is actually like storybook accurate it was like a a pregnant mother that traded her unborn child for rapunzel which is a type of of like leafy green Mm -hmm. in in germany and so then they they she named the witch named the baby rapunzel uh -hmm. yeah yeah uh it's funny you bring it into the woods because that will also play a part in the episode <laughs> a little bit um but yeah that's your kind of premise of this whole movie i had only seen this movie once before this episode so what is your history with this movie thomas i i didn't see it like i remember when it came out um i actually so i have another disney animation studio story about this one uh i i don't think it was the same and i'm sure this will tie into to your story of the making it of it (laughs) but i was at the disney animation studio i used to always anytime i was at disney world anytime i was at hollywood studios i do the little i used to i don't do it anymore but you used to do a little tour you get to see what they were working on yeah, yeah. that's where i got the hot tip on home and on the range yeah r.i.p uh, to the backlot tour there r.i.p yeah. to the backlot tour but the the last time i went they were like working on princess and the frog i want to say because mm-hmm. that's when we went back and we were like oh no our home on the range dvds are worthless <laughs> um but they had some they had some posters up for like things that were like very far in the works yeah and they had a poster that was this tower with the hair coming out Mm -hmm. and the title was rapunzel Mm -hmm. 
and and i said oh okay yeah cool they're making a rapunzel movie and then years later the trailer for this movie comes out and i'm like wait what this is <laughs> this is the, that rapunzel movie they were talking about um but yeah so it came out i i was what a, the freshman in college or about to go to college when this came yeah. out and um it was it wasn't that i was like oh i'm i'm not watching disney movies because i was always i i don't know maybe when i was in like eighth grade i had a period where i was like oh i'm too old to watch disney movies but at that point i was definitely like interested in it i was just uh it was very hard to get new movies when i was in college we didn't have like a a movie theater nearby and our our college blockbuster went out of business my freshman year so um Mm. so it was a while before i saw it i had a girlfriend in college who really liked it and would talk about it all the time and then i was just like "Eh, whatever i'll see it at some point um and then i want to say it's just like saw it on abc family one weekend or something yeah and uh and have have revisited it maybe once or twice but this was definitely this this past time was definitely like the second time i've ever sat down and watched it all the way through yeah same and it was a bit it was same thing with me in college i didn't watch it when it first came out it was a few years into college i had several friends that liked this movie and a lot of a lot of girls who had lanterns in their rooms because (laughs) of this movie and so i watched it kind of because of that uh um and because people just i had some friends that had it as their like profile picture on facebook for a while and i was like i "I should probably watch this movie at some point and i did and i liked it but i get i I just remember seeing the trailers and i knew about the controversy around the name which we'll discuss later on but i was just kind of like when i first saw the first trailer and i sent to you today like wait what is this movie (laughs) because it's portrayed and as we'll talk later um it's 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 marketed as this very like like big adventure movie almost like a, a swashbuckler, swashbuckler. Yeah, when yeah you when you watch the trailer well it literally has stuff in the trailer that's never in the movie like just not in the film whatsoever but just to have this sense of adventure um mm-hmm. is the thing but yeah so with all that you mentioned the poster at in orlando uh at the animation yes let's go into that shall we of <laughs> how this movie comes to play because it's one of those we've talked about previous ones where like being the beast and, and a little mermaid and aladdin were in development hell for mm-hmm. a while in some cases they were there before minkin and ashman came but tangled is kind of one of those movies that was like in development hell during the disney renaissance and then finally came out afterwards basically hmm. so as we dive into the history of how this movie got into production Last week, we discussed The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and we talked about how it was seen as a disappointment financially due to it not being not doing as well as some of the previous Disney animated films. Mm. I think it made $325 million worldwide. Hercules, which would be the follow-up to Hunchback, would actually do worse than that. Boo. Make- <laughs> Boo. That was my favorite. Yeah. I, I, like saw, I, I saw that one at least twice in theaters when I was a kid, and my, I bought all, my, the, all the toys. Yeah, my favorite story is that we, yeah, we saw it at a theater, and people were trying to, uh, the local newspaper was trying to interview everybody and, like what they thought about Hercules. Um, we talked about Hercules, I think, a few years ago in our movie musical month, so go back and listen to that. I kind of dive into all that stuff about that history. It's kind of a good companion piece with all the stuff we're talking about now. But it was $75 million less than Hunchback, so making it the lowest-grossing movie during the disney renaissance besides the rescuers down under which would be like 14 million dollars so hercules would be minkin's final collaboration with disney 
during their Renaissance period. For Mulan, they would use Matthew Wilder for the music and David Zippel, who did uh, Hercules, the lyrics. Uh, and they hired Jerry Goldsmith for the score. Yay. All now, right. some drama with this, though. Uh-oh. And it there, came don't, don't tell me any Jerry Goldsmith drama, because no, I don't want to hear Goldsmith. it. Okay. <laughs> Not Jerry Goldsmith drama. How dare I? Um, no, it would come from Stephen Schwartz, who we oh. talked about last week. Mm -hmm. yes, Schwartz, yes, yes. Schwartz was initially going to do both the music and lyrics from Mulan, but he committed to a different project. But did, all right, here's here's what I put together in my mind. Is this correct? Because okay. Katzenberg see. Katzenberg worked with Schwartz at yes. Disney, yes. yes, and then yes. Katzenberg stole him to DreamWorks to make prince of egypt correct that uh -huh. is absolutely correct I, I was reading the playbill last week at wicked and it's i, I was like oh i forgot steven schwartz did prince, prince of, egypt. of egypt and then i was like that was katzenberg's like big moving over to dreamworks project so yes, it was he stole steven schwartz yeah he stole steven schwartz and i believe hans zimmer did the score for mm -hmm. prince of egypt yeah who did the score for lion king so it was very much a katzenberg poaching people from disney and essentially schwartz did a whole like trip to china to do research and everything he got back got a call from katzenberg saying i want you on prince of egypt and schwartz decided to do prince of egypt peter schneider who was the president of walt disney animation at the time threatened to have schwartz's name removed from any publicity materials with for pocahontas or hunchback of notre dame Michael Eisner even called up Schwartz personally, asking him to drop out of Prince of Egypt. Oh, I wonder why Michael Eisner would say that. He, he, uh, he loved Jeffrey Katzenberg so much. Yeah. Um, but Schwartz refused and he dropped out of Mulan instead. And so while this was happening, Minkin was in the background working on his next Disney project called Sweating Bullets. Uh, and he'd done it at, it'll come back. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Uh, after signing a long, he signed a long-term deal with Disney to write music for both animated and live-action films. But after the disappointment of Hercules, Minkin stated there was definitely a change in direction at Disney that started around the time started around the time of Hunchback, where they felt that they had saturated the market with animated musicals, especially in the style that Howard and I started with. The natural cycle was moving toward non-musical animated projects are musical animated projects with song under the action. Yes. So this gave rise to Tarzan with the addition of Phil Collins, the Disney canon. Uh, the directors of Tarzan basically said, we don't want Tarzan singing, mm -hmm. but they wanted music to serve as like a narrator to their story. Yes. And they wanted a CD they could sell afterwards. Correct. Exactly. So if you look at the next bat, here are the next, the next run of Disney movies. Dinosaur. Now, I, don't re I don't remember any music from Dinosaur. Yeah, Dinosaur. gotta say, uh, the Emperor's New Groove, which which, which was supposed, supposed to be supposed to be by Sting. Go listen to uh, go listen to our friends Chris and Lizzie on what went wrong. They covered yeah. that one not long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about the Sweatbox documentary that shows like Sting just be like so upset that he goes from like writing. A hey, Sting! Thanks for thanks for like dozens of songs that you wrote for us. We're gonna throw them all out and Can you have, write uh, one song for the credits. Basically? And what is it? Tom Tom Jones. We're gonna have Tom Jones instead of Sting. Yeah um atlantis the lost empire not a lot of music there gotta say L lilo I'm, and stitch i gotta say a lot of elvis elvis soundtrack elvis, yeah um a lot of these are feeling pretty boy oriented i'm uh, i gotta say well guess what the next one is after lilo and stitch uh treasure planet that's correct <laughs> and then brother bear 
uh that one did that was like phil collins kind of like tarzan-esque right he he did like a lot of songs for it a lot of songs for it so disney returned the musical format in 2004 with the film home on the range which was originally titled sweating bullets oh is that oh wow okay yes the project minkin started working on in 1998 after hercules so six years it sat minkin said he wrote at least six songs from the movie in 1999 but Home on the Range would end up being a box office failure. Gross. I, could, I wouldn't even told you. I've seen. I obviously own a copy of that movie, and I wouldn't even have been able to tell you it was a musical. I, yeah. uh, does well, Roseanne sing in it? Maybe I don't know. Well, Roseanne's the main character. Yeah, okay. I know. Uh, well, I, I not to. I'm not. I'll, he he stands by it. But our friend Dan really loves the soundtrack of Home on the Range. Mm. No. Okay. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it. I can't comment but he's very adamant that it has a good soundtrack. Um, so the movie only grossed $76 million off a $110 million budget. Oof. And because of the rise of Pixar at the time, this just became, we're not going to do any more 2D animation, animated films, traditional animated films. We're going to do more 3D computer animated films. Uh, the same goes for Disney animated musicals. So because of that, Minkin wouldn't do that much work in the 2000s with animation. He would continue to work with Disney, however, uh, writing the score for the remake of The Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen and Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, he also wrote the score and music for Enchanted in 2007, uh, and he helped adapt The Little Mermaid for the Broadway stage in 2008. He would not return to Disney animation until 2010 with Tangled. But a lot would happen to Tangled before it made the big screen and before Mencken even got involved. So the concept for the movie was based on the Brothers Grimm fairy tale, Rapunzel, which had apparently been pitched or had been kind of a, had originated at Disney uh, because of one of Disney's most trusted and talented supervising editors, Glenn Keane. Now mm-hmm. we talked about Keane earlier in this month because he was a supervising editor for or supervising animator for Ariel, a Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. Beast, and Beauty and the Beast. Yes, Aladdin and Aladdin, Pocahontas and Pocahontas. <laughs> And for Tarzan, he did Tarzan. So yeah, it's a pretty good track record. Pretty good track record. Keen is also actually one of the big reasons why part of your world even exists today. So it was not in the it was not supposed to be in the final cut of The Little Mermaid because Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to cut the song, feeling kids got bored during it when they did a test screening for it. Keen, uh, the directors as well, but Keen was very adamant. He pushed Katzenberg to let them leave it in the film until the animation was complete and it could be tested with a different kid audience. Once they did that, they loved it. And so it stayed in the film. So needless to say, Keen was one of the most important figures in the Disney Renaissance period, at least in terms of animation. So in July, 2001, Keen would pitch his idea for a Rapunzel story to Michael Eisner. Now Eisner would approve his idea, but he requested that the movie be computer animated instead of the traditional hand-drawn animation. Keen was hesitant to use computer animation because he felt it didn't feel as fluid or as organic as traditional animation. Mm-hmm. Glenn Keane now serving as a director for this movie, his kind of directorial debut, he wanted to stick with 2d animation, but not just Eisner, but several executives were like, we're not going to approve this movie unless you do 3d computer graphics. Yeah, because no, no, at this point, nobody's really done a like fairy tale in, in this way. No. You know, it was it was Shrek. It was 
those kind of adventure meet the robinsons like boy movies like yes no, nobody had done like a princess movie in, in 3d animation show so i'm sure you know if you're looking back on this kind of disney renaissance and you're like this is what a, a disney princess movie looks yes. like beauty and the beast it's it's hard to envision it as 3d animation and so you have to you have to say again the the time he pitches eisner is july 2001 and what has happened right before then the release of shrek in may <laughs> of 2001 so this is very and, and you, i could see eisner being like katzenberg did it he mm-hmm. took a, he made fun of our fairy tales in this computer anim, and computer animated world we gotta do something better so in response to that demand, Glenn Keane held a seminar known as the Best of Both Worlds, where he and 50 Disney CGI artists and traditional artists focused on the pros and cons of each style. And after the meeting, it was decided the film would be made in 3D CGI animation, but in a way as to become an extension of the traditional 2D Disney aesthetic, is what they said. Hmm. Now, Disney would announce the project in 2003, officially announce the project in 2003, as Rapunzel Unbraided, with yeah. a scheduled release in 2007. In, a, in one report, it says that Rapunzel was to be an, an irreverent comedy similar to Shrek, and, <laughs> and the title character would be a comedic heroine, the first within the Disney princess canon, where she was going to be just a comedy character, basically. Yeah, that sounds fun. Enough with the sidekicks. Let's make the lead character funny. And so around this time in 2004, they had, they kind of started to lock down a cast or kind of cast people for this movie. At one point, Reese Witherspoon and Kristen Chenoweth were in talks for roles with Chenoweth playing Rapunzel is what it was. I'm not sure who Reese was going to play, but I know at some point, I'm not sure when the movie was actually going to start off in modern day San Francisco. What? As we follow, yeah, as we follow two teenagers, Claire and Vince, they would then be transported to a fairy tale land where they take over the bodies of Rapunzel and her prince Bo, while the real Rapunzel and Bo would turn to a squirrel and a dog. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Ed Catmull, one of the co-founders of Pixar, so the idea came from Michael Eisner. Uh, <laughs> That's what I, that's what he says. In his book Creativity Inc., Catmull recalls the process of trying to crack the Rapunzel story. He said it had been development hell for years because no one could figure out how to make a character who is stuck in a castle active. Catmull even says Keen, who is one of the greatest animators of all time, couldn't even figure it out. And because of this, in November 2005, the movie was pushed to summer of 2009. Now, a few months later, early 2006, only a few months after this, Disney would shelve Rapunzel unbraided, feeling it was going nowhere. But one week later, Catmull and John Lasseter, who were over at Pixar, would come over from Pixar after it was bought by Disney. Mm-hmm. The duo said that when Disney bought Pixar, the executives of the company of Disney discussed closing the feature animation department entirely in favor of only focusing on Pixar stories. Catmull and Laster refused, and so they wanted to turn things around at Disney Animation. They said that over the past decade, due to the working conditions at Disney, many of the animators had lost <laughs> their creative passion for their work. Upon arriving at Disney, Catmull and Laster would ask Keane to keep working on Rapunzel, resurrecting it once again. They felt it was a classic story that was perfect for the Disney brand. Keane would agree. And at some point during this process, I don't know if this was 
Dan Fogelman who came involved with the story or what because he wrote the screenplay as we said at some point in the story's development they figured out that the lanterns were to key, were the key to make Rapunzel active because they hmm. said originally they couldn't crack the sword because they didn't know they didn't want they didn't know what Rapunzel would do once she got out of the tower because once mm-hmm. she got out of the tower it was over if there was no more want involved right in 2007, the team would add Dean Wellens as a co-director with Glenn Keane, but in October 2008, Wellens and Keane would step down as directors due to other commitments. It would later be revealed that Keane had actually had a heart attack and needed to oh. step away for a time on the movie. He still served as a supervising animator on the film if you watch the credits. Uh, in turn, Disney would hire Byron Howard and Nathan Greeno to direct the film. Howard had been a director on Disney's recent film Bolt, and Greeno was a storyboard director on the same project. And now with a new directing team, the production moved forward and it would not slow down. And that leads us to favorite scenes. <laughs> so Thomas. Wow, what a ride. <clears throat> I mean I, I do expecting I, all that. I, I, I do that. have to say, you know, when like when when Lasser and them came in and they were like, Oh, you gotta do Rapunzel, it it, it is kind of like it's like the last princess movie they haven't they haven't done you know it's yeah. like the last classic grim fairy tale that that they haven't touched yet um mm-hmm. so it does kind of it is kind of like how have you guys not made rapunzel yet you know yeah but it really is in terms of like a story thing how do you make that into a feature when the whole thing is she wants to get out of the tower <laughs> you guys made friggin' sleeping beauty figure That's it out <laughs> yeah she was very active in that movie <laughs> Okay, favorite scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do have to say the the this is this is a rare one from our like Minkin uh, month, and and I'm sure we'll discuss why. But like, this is the first one where like the first scenes that come to mind aren't necessarily the song scenes. Um, yes, I agree with you on that. I do think you know as as much as i am kind of like in hindsight in my mind being like ah don't don't try to be shrek just just like make some some good disney fairy tales uh the like physical comedy specifically of the kind of flynn rider getaway scene yeah. is is very very well done it's like yeah. it's almost like looney tunes and it's kind of bizarre yeah. seeing like looney tunes you, mm-hmm. you know like aside from like the the old mickey mouse cartoons it's it's kind of bizarre seeing that energy in like a disney project but the yeah. specifically the the interaction between flynn and, and the horse uh in that first yes. scene is is really fun when he lands right. on the horse and the horse finds out that he's got the the satchel with the the jewels in it and he's trying to get it back and then it goes out onto the tree and he's and, the, and he's I, just like, <laughs> like I, yeah i love i love when he's he's shimmying under the tree and the horse is trying to stomp his his, his hands yeah it's it's very very well done it's I very mean, Mac- fun. maximus is really great who's the yes. horse like mm-hmm. the the animators who did that phenomenal job just phenomenal job through and through with that with that character mm-hmm yeah, I, I do like, and again, you, again, you talk about the Shrek kind of influence, where like the meta ness, where Flynn's kind of coming down like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible mm-hmm. to steal the crown. It, it's very much when watching it, you can feel like you're in a different period for this, for a Disney animation, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. No, I just I think the 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 whole Flynn of it all, yeah, does it. it it's nowhere near 
you know shrek level where they're like aha look at look yeah. at this disney but but the, the flint of it all does have this kind of like tongue-in-cheek like oh this isn't your this isn't your regular old princess movie i'm flynn yeah. rider yeah what's rough and tumbling all of a sudden yeah. like yeah we're we're, we're we're dangerous is kind of what it tries to say mm-hmm. and and even though then that's the guess that's not in the opening part of the movie the opening part of the movie is the whole prologue yes um which i think out of all the movies we've covered it's the weakest prologue it's not in song all. i was watching it's it last night song. i was sitting there i was like this should be a song come on yeah. alan minkin this should be a song make him yeah. make him make this part a song i'm sure yeah. i'm sure he wrote a, a prologue song he's he has to he's 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 done it for every other movie that he's done for disney and then they were like no you know what we want to ease people in we don't want to uh we don't want to open with a song well yeah well i, I wonder however how the ones we covered not to say not to not to demean glenn slater in any way with a lot of those prologues it was because the lyricists really pushed for it to happen hmm. like schwartz pushed for it in hunchback and ashman pushed for it in beauty and the beast and uh he pushed for it in little mermaid and didn't get it basically so you wonder if like you needed the lyricists to push a little harder on it is it the- yeah yeah and I'll, I'll you know i'll say this up top as we go into favorite scenes and we start talking about these song sequences you can feel you this feels like a disney musical coming off the backsides of the like phil collins soundtrack era yep yep in that a lot of the songs uh um we my i i, I kind of said that last night when my when emmy and i were watching um and and i was like it feels kind of like tarzan or something like that and she was like well you know what it is is like a lot of the songs are presented in montage and they don't start singing on screen until like the last verse um that's how when will my life begin is Mm -hmm. is is done for us um that's how uh, to hop far ahead uh and then we'll come back that's uh at last i see the light i see the light it's is, all it's all like in head in their head basically yeah until like the last chorus they they start mm-hmm. singing it out loud so so there is this kind of like timidity to it where they're like i don't know people gonna like it if they start singing i don't know yes. gonna, let's let's just start this off as a song and then we'll like ease people into the idea that that they're singing it yeah because the one where it goes fully like we're making a movie musical it feels like is mother knows best mm-hmm. that's where it's like here is the theatricality of it all mm-hmm. where she's performing like she's in a Sondheim musical basically is what it is. But yeah, to, to get into, you know, when will my life begin? It's, you know, it opens, it's a acoustic guitar uh, and it yep. opens like very, it's very poppy. It's, it's definitely yes. the, the, like the poppiest song of the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not very like musical, uh, at all um and and so it it is that it's that first song it's like hey guys this we're gonna ease you into it this is gonna be a musical but like you'll you'll get used to it (laughs) yeah i'll i'll I'll, I'll mention this later too but i'll tell you this now is that basically minkin said that his big influence was trying to combine 1960s folk rock and medieval music Hmm. was this kind of like brand for this movie Mm-hmm. um specifically like kind of like singer songwriter folk rock basically is the thing and mm. but when my life began again it kind of comes back to i think of the previous movies we talked about how when my life began is kind of your opening 
like establishing the world. Yeah. It's your Skid Row song, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the very end, in the reprise, it turns the establishing the world into an I want song in a similar mm-hmm. way as as uh, um, as Bell does uh, uh, Little Town, basically. And then also the way One Jump Ahead does in Aladdin, it turns that into the here's my life now. I'm doing this, 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 but I want something more right at the tail end Yeah, <laughs> to carry you into the rest of the movie, basically. Which is interesting. Again, it's just, it shows you that he still kind of has that same structure where it, it's, it's just a kind of interesting. I've never thought about how you can use the create one meeting in the bat in the front half of the song and then have your reprise be almost a whole new meaning yeah. of I'm ha- I, it's like, I'm happy with this life, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, I'm re- I really, I succeed within this life. I'm good at what I do, but I want something more is the thing. It's that Aladdin can, I can survive, but I want something more. Mm-hmm. Bell's like, I can survive, but I want something more. And Rapunzel the same way. I can survive in this world, but I would like to have something more than what I currently have. And it's just that tail end that they did. It's it's a really fascinating thing to do with music that I didn't notice. I didn't know that you could do until this series basically is the thing. If that makes any sense. I do have I have I have one since we don't do story questions anymore. I want to ask this one That's here. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Moving from when will my life begin into uh, into mother knows best. Um, yeah. Why did Mother Gothel not just lie about Rapunzel's birthday? Why would? <laughs> well, she doesn't have she just she doesn't be like, have since that day yeah those lanterns there's not, that's not your birth- not oh, certificate look, yeah those it's so weird those lanterns fly on my birthday every year it's like oh no your birthday's like four days from now <laughs> just easy let me make fix it a different let me just make it the next day easy fix mother gothel and she knocks that she knocks that cage off of the bush she's a very incompetent disney villain <laughs> And yes, interesting with the mother knows best. It's like it kind they kind of use it as like a villain song. The reprise is more of the villain song, I think. <clears throat> yeah, but, but it's, it's got it's got very similar energy as far as you know. We, we keep drawing lines between yeah. Minkin songs. It's got very similar energy to the opening of Out There. That kind of the lesson from Claude Frollo. That's like it's I'm, funny. yep, I'm keeping you safe. Everybody out there is scary. Yep. You need to be here with me. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm the only one who looks out for you. Mother knows better. Yeah. Hunchback gets a lot of references, and we'll mention it later. But like a lot of people compared out there to this song, mm-hmm. and also when will my life begin as well? They compare that to out there too. There's a lot of Hunchback, almost like leftover. It feels like mm-hmm. with this movie, where again it's a character who's stuck in a tower and wants to get out, and this kind of rogue outsider is the one that brings out their want essentially mm-hmm. so it's 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 there are similarities and I'll, we'll talk about later how Mencken tried to go away from those similarities and I, I don't know if he fully succeeded because it's so inherent in the actual story of it all um but yeah so i love when flynn meets rapunzel for the first time and not how he meets her in the trailer, because that's different. Because um, <laughs> the trailer is just wild. Like yeah, her hair movie, is like her hair is prehensile, and the, yeah, it, it, it can move itself in the trailer. And they very obviously threw that out at some point. <laughs> yes, because like in the movie, it's like she hits him over the head, he's knocked out, then he's tied up in the next scene. 
and the trailer it's like he's being thrown over the across the room it's a very over the top sequence he even gets thrown out of the window at one point with the hair and it's just wild um but i like their kind of meeting when she's like when he wakes up and she's like you'll never find the crown he's like it's in that it's in that uh bucket and she hits him again mm-hmm. okay you'll really never find the crown and again his like whole smolder bit is fun that was a big part of the trailer get ready for the smolder yeah but they just have really good chemistry uh more and levi and that in that scene mm-hmm. is the thing but but i like it and then when they get out i love when they actually do finally get out and just the mo- the kind of back and forth of her like loving this saying it's her favorite day best day of all time to crying over a mother's gonna hate me and it's just mm-hmm. the constant back and forth back and forth back and forth he's like i can sense you have some issues <laughs> I, I sense mother issues here but no i love i love that love that scene and kind of sequence right there yeah and i mean that that pretty much leads them into kind of the the rogues tavern which is which yes. is a good time it's a good it time. is and, and again to kind of draw comparisons i keep we keep I guess poking holes in this with Minkin. Is that <laughs> I I've got a dream has a very Gaston feel to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you're very similar setting. Very similar yes. tavern. Kind of similar rhythms, and it's like where it kind of come, hops into the song. Yeah. It's a much um, more. It's it's a it's a good natured version of Gaston. Yes. What what if all these what if all these beefy guys defied your expectations instead of playing exactly into yeah. them? What if one wants to be a mime? Like that's the. Yeah. A concert pianist, uh, a lot of wonderful jobs they try the to guy, do. The guy with the, the crystal unicorns is the best, but um. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I love that, and that kind of leads. I kind of talk about the adventure aspect of it. I do love the kind of them breaking out before the guards get there. Them kind of turning into the whole water whale, mm. busting open, and them escaping. It feels like the movie kind of popped to mind. It, it's reminiscent of like the mask of Zorro with Antonio yeah. Banderas, like the kind of get away through, through the mines or whatever. It's like really fun. I do think it's interesting that of all the, you know, the, they were definitely trying in the late nineties, early two thousands. They were Disney as a whole was like trying to bring swashbuckling back and they were doing yes. it in live action with the Zorro movies and with pirates of the Caribbean and they were doing it in, over and over again in the animated movies with, uh, yeah. with uh, Atlantis, Treasure Planet, and Atlantis, Treasure yes. Planet, and and of the animated ones, I'm very sorry, I'm going to offend a lot of people here. I I think it it works best in this princess movie that they've made. <laughs> um, uh, the Atlantis I, stands just got very upset with Atlantis me, and Treasure Planet are not very good. I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm glad you liked them when you were a kid. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed them, but um, I oof. did almost I, I did almost watch Atlantis because I was like, you know what? We watched Being the Beast. We watched Hunchback because it's uh Trosdale and Wise. Like, let me give me give it a shot. And I was like, but I also haven't seen National Treasure Two: Book of Secrets in a while. Hey, there you go. Yeah, because <laughs> I was packing and I was like, I'll put this on the background. Mm-hmm. And so I watched that instead. Anyway. But yeah, it, I think it works here. I think, you know, um, and and to give us kind of the contrast that we're not all, you know, we have the, the music to come back to. We've got kind of the magic. We're not always just just on like adventure mode. It, it, it feels yeah. it feels like the pacing works a lot better. And, and so it, and it gives the action some some stakes and some fun. And like we yeah. said, kind of mixing that kind of Looney Tunes 
you know, because you know, breaking the dam open and all that stuff is 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 it's all kind of played off as as good natured or a good time. Yeah. There's the um, when they're at the top of that cliff and like the people are coming at him and she's like, oh, who's that? And he's like, they don't like me very much. And yeah, oh, who's that? They don't like me very much. And then Maximus comes busting in. He's like, you know what? Just stop asking. Um, Assume they all don't like me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a good time. It's fun and 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 flynn works as this kind of obviously errol flynn uh stanton character um and and they've got yeah like you said they've got they've got great chemistry and and his i i really like the i've got a dream sequence as you know it's it's in in the way it shifts their dynamic and that you know he's like oh this this girl's crazy now i'm stuck with this this insane woman and then to start to see like oh maybe I'm the one who needs to change because everybody else yeah. seems to really like her and, and seems to share her, her worldview. Um, yes. And everyone, again, talk about dreams. It's like, I love the moment when it's, I guess it's, I think it's Brad Garrett's character, the pianist character where it's like, and I love your dream. Oh, thanks. Not yours, hers, because his like, <laughs> I, want, I want money and be on an Island or whatever. But mm-hmm. everyone else has, he's like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And it's like, and they, and he's just like oh so he starts to rethink and and this is to commend this movie with this it's terms terms like the romance angle of it they start laying the groundwork very well here because then you have the moment where they they get with the water well sequence where they get trapped in the well and he mm-hmm. tells her like what his real name is um mm-hmm. eugene and you start to see them kind of bonding after as you said as he finds out that maybe he's the weird one and that she's like she her perspective is how we should view the world in some way mm-hmm. um this almost like innocence type uh hope hopeful view um and that leads into them actually showing up and fi- and, and getting to the to the castle basically to the to the to the kingdom mm-hmm. um and i love in terms of sequence, especially with Minkin's score here, I love the whole celebration, like dance that they all do, and kind of around the town in terms of montage. You're saying mm-hmm. of of them kind of falling for one another. Like we don't have, we talked about how Aladdin just has a whole new world, and there's no song that leads up to it. This is kind of your is something or something's there, yeah. basically, where you're seeing them mm-hmm. bond together in this town or in the kingdom, and that leads us into into uh i see the light basically later mm-hmm. um but it's a nice it's a nice moment and i think it's for the part where the animation score really go well together yeah you have something next i mean i i see light is is i think the I, for me the the pinnacle of the movie be, i mean it, yes. also kind of the climax of the movie not not quite not quite there but um visually visually i think it is it is really firing on all cylinders i'm not totally sold on the the computer animation at this point especially coming yeah i gotta say i'm not either honestly coming on the heels of princess and the frog uh which is gorgeous yes and they were like oh we can do handmade animation again uh hand-drawn animation again um and I and I do think it really works in Frozen. I think this is kind of the, the prototype to go to go into Frozen. But um, but I think it's it's really beautiful with obviously the lanterns and the water yeah. and, and and everything. Yeah. Um, and then that song is just that that is Minkin that that's right up there with with Minkin's other stuff. And it and yeah. it's 
and it feels like you know the the first time it's it's really it feels like the first time in this movie where he's gotten to be like oh i can write like a disney musical song you know (laughs) exactly it feels like he's been like a little held back through the rest of the movie and now it's like all right just give him a let me me give you kiss the girl in a whole new world right here yeah yeah exactly give him beauty and the beast like just give him a good old love song and um and and yeah it's it is it's a beautiful song it's it's really really well done it it is and again i think you said the animation this is where kind of it, it peaks animation wise i said too it's like the problem is with the computer animation at this point too like animating doing people is very hard basically mm-hmm. there's a reason why pixar did a lot of their early movies were like non-human characters if yeah toys yeah, yeah, or yeah. bugs like yeah, incredi- everybody's incredi- everybody's yeah. a little shiny everybody's yeah. a little like plasticky feeling because uh, yeah. like even incredibles they, they do it to where it's like it's not supposed to be fully lifelike because everyone's yeah. so cartoonish yeah 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 but they're really pushing it here where they're trying to make everyone as human as possible. And, and, and it's, it's not there yet is the thing. And basically you need a movie like this to push it forward essentially. So like if they ever did a sequel, I would be intrigued to see how well the animation has improved for these characters. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, oh, oof, the don't, don't get me started on the script, but the, um, the animation for frozen two, I thought was, was, was gorgeous. I thought, um, yeah. Frozen, frozen two was a really looked, looked really nice for the, um, you yeah. know, for, for being computer animated, but, well, fr- um, well frozen, uh, I don't, uh, should I diss frozen <laughs> two here? Cause that was I can't even, a- I can't tell you, I'm, I'm an adult. I saw, Frozen 2 is a movie for children. I am an adult and I can't explain to you what happened in that movie. Same. I, 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 that was the, because we, we, when we saw it, we all, a bunch of friends and I went together and I walked out and I go, I know this movie's not made for me. <laughs> it was so like lore heavy. I was like, did George R. R. Martin write <laughs> yeah. this movie? I was like, but this is the first time where I'm like, this isn't made for me. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> Adam, like, this is not made for me. And whoever loves it, loves it. Great. This is not for me. Like, it's like, cause usually I can like, like animated films are not, they're not, not all the time are made for people of our age, but like I can appreciate the things that are happening in it, who the audience is for. And this is when I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And, and uh, if you love it, fare thee well and great to you. Like that's, that's kind of what it is. Um, because I was just like so like I don't get this movie anyway. <laughs> um, not about that. Um, but this is like you can tell there is there is some a lot of stuff in there where they're still trying to figure out what it is in this post Shrek and this post like can we watch musicals? World. Yeah, like can can we be sincere at any point in this? Like, yes. do we have to be tongue in cheek the entire time? Are yes. people gonna are people gonna get weirded out if we if we ever get? we ever turn it into a sincere romance and and luckily I, they i think they do pivot towards that towards the mm-hmm. end towards um the end. to the point where it kind of it, it is kind of a the difference is a little kind of jar- jarring jar- jarring yes yeah. yes, <laughs> yes when it becomes like this whole like the mother gothel stuff gets it's like the the kind of like double cross double cross it feels like of everything and mm-hmm. and uh, it's yeah it's just it's a very interesting turn i do like when they break it when when maximus and the the rogues break him out of jail before he's before he's hit or executed 
to mm-hmm. go save Rapunzel. But it's like it's interesting. It's like it's it, everything kind of happens very fast. It feels like at the very end. Not saying it's not bad. It's bad. I think it's all quite good. But it just it feels almost different because it happens so quickly mm. with everything. And it's also there is something too. Again, as a musical, where once we get Ice Delight, I think you get Mother's No Mother Knows Best reprise right after that, and then I think we're done musically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the Healing Incarnation, which or Incantation, which is not really a song exactly um but no no mother's no mother knows best reprise is before i before that yeah that's right before they get that's right before they get to the the city yeah because she said she's daring them to to she's daring her to like say to to like give him the crown basically yeah so yeah it just feels kind of like if you're doing like a beauty and the beast of it all like you don't you don't have the mob song or something. You don't yeah. have something that le- leads you to it. That's a, that's always been kind of the issue with a lot of these. It's like, what's the song? We don't really have a song in the last few moments of Hunchback. We don't really have songs in Aladdin that much. Yeah, and I think that comes from the you know as as we've continued to move through these movies, we've seen them try and be more like boy centric. We've we've yes. seen them try to be yes. more actiony and 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 less like ah oh, princess movie. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that at some point that had to be a note that came down was like once the action of the climax starts, like, don't break yeah, it. Don't break it. Um, like yeah. Aladdin, Aladdin, you get Jafar's uh, little reprise of. of um, Which is great. Of, uh, one, one jump ahead. One jump one ahead. Jump ahead. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that is I'm like sorry, dirt. Pr- 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 Prince Ali. My bad. Prince Ali. Yeah, yeah, Prince, Prince Ali. Yeah. And that is like during the climax. Um, yes. So that's a, that's kind of a rare one. But um, but yeah, after that, it's kind of like, all right, we're in the action now. We're in the exciting part. Yeah. Leave that Be- music stuff Beauty out of the Beast, it. Beauty and the Beast alone actually finds a way to turn, to mix them both together, of having the action song and the yeah. action together Yeah. Um, with Kill the Beast or the mob song. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and speaking of Beauty and the Beast, I love how the ending of Tangled is just Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> because uh, he, di- he dies. He dies. She brings him back with her she's love. Cry- she's crying over this dead man. A magical moment happens. Everything goes gold, and the person is saved. I think it's like gold or white in Being the Beast, but everything just like big bright light. Mm-hmm. There, they survive. It's it's yeah. She's crying over him. Really, nice really, moment. really brutal climax. Though you, you got a hanging, is, you got a yeah. hanging coming up. He gets stabbed. stabbed. He gets shanked, and then. She shanks him and then the knife moves into frame and has no yeah. blood on it. I mean, of course you can't show any blood, but like, why would you move the knife into frame? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then she, you know, that Pascal trips her. So she falls out of the tower. Brutal. Come on, Pascal. A lot of falling deaths in these movies, if you notice. Yeah. I mean, technically, I guess she is. Uh, she is gone. She's turned to dust before she hits the ground. But still, it's. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of the wildest of the falling deaths because you stay with her kind of screaming and falling. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got that great shot where they cut cut out to like a wide shot of her just going down. So moving on to onset life. In September of 2009, a year before the film's release, the cast of the movie was announced, and for the lead roles of Rapunzel and Flynn Rider, they cast Mandy Moore and Zachary Levi, both of whom had to audition for the role. Now, Moore had previously voiced a character in the direct-to-video Disney movie Brother Bear 2. Mm, can't say I can't say I ever saw that one. I didn't see that one, I don't think. 
I don't. I'm guessing Joaquin Phoenix did not return for the direct DVD. You know uh, what? Let's find out. Let's hard. Doesn't it, it doesn't really seem like a Joaquin thing to do, but uh, also Brother Bear doesn't really seem like a Joaquin Phoenix thing to do. So you know, which one was which one did he play? Was he the younger? He was the main one? character. I was I the main character. Yeah, he was the guy that was turned into the bear. The younger one was that kid from Disney Channel with like the glasses, the really nerdy kid with the glasses. I remember his face. He, well, he, he played. It, the... Oh, it, it was it was the son from Bernie Mac show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he so he is in it, but Joaquin Phoenix is not. He is replaced okay. by Patrick Dempsey. Hmm. Okay. Never in a million years, honestly, <laughs> I would say. Get me a Joaquin Phoenix type. <laughs> what about Patrick Dempsey? Patrick Dempsey. No okay. offense to Dempsey, <laughs> but that's just, it's like, like picture Patrick Dempsey as the Joker. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> um, but no, so she was in Brother Bear 2, and she said she almost didn't audition for the movie because the only thing she knew about it was that it was a Disney movie, and she figured everyone and their mother would audition for it. But she said it was so rare to get to sing a song and read a scene for an audition so she decided to do it. And apparently she was just super excited about getting to sing a song in her <laughs> audition because Moore mentions multiple times in the interviews I read that she was like, oh, it was fun to do it because it made me less nervous is kind of what she says. Hmm. Um, she, was she was surprised she got a call back and she would eventually audition for Disney multiple times. The song she sang for her audition was Help Me by Joni Mitchell, which is a song oh. she actually had covered in her 2003 album Coverage. Um, Kristen Bell and Nita Menzel also auditioned for the role of Rapunzel. <laughs> I'm sure somebody wrote down, like, you know, not quite it, but keep them in mind. Keep in mind. Uh, for the role of Flynn, Disney mandated that they only allow actors from the UK to audition for the role. Well, if you know Zachary Levi, <laughs> you know he is not from the UK. He's not. His voiceover agent fought for him to get in there because she knew he could do an English accent. And so somehow... He snuck in there and did the audition with a British accent. They would cast him not knowing he wasn't British, I believe. And later they would ask if he could do an American accent since they were switching the character to having an American accent. He was like, sure can. For the role of Mother Gothel, Donna Murphy got the role also based on her audition. Murphy had never done voiceover work whatsoever. And she only auditioned for the movie because her agent told her about it and she thought it would be fun to do something she never tried before. While she was known for being a spectacular singer, being she was a Broadway star, Murphy still had to do a singing audition for the movie, and she sang Children Will Listen from Into the Woods mm. from Sondheim. Classic. She would then be selected out of over 100 actresses because the directors felt she possessed something extra, as they said. <laughs> also, funny enough, Donna Murphy was one of the first actresses to play Audrey in the original run of Little Shop of Horrors off-Broadway. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, so Minkin had known her for years, apparently. Like many animated films, the cast had to record their dialogue separate from one another. Mandy Moore said she never met Donna Murphy and only met Zachary Levi once when they had to record I See the Light. For Murphy, she said the person who played the part of Rapunzel for her was one of the directors doing an impersonation of Mandy Moore. When having to record action scenes for the movie, they had, to per they had the performers jog in place as they read their dialogue. Also, another reason why none of the, them could record here was because of their schedules. Mandy Moore had to record in several different places, including London and New York. Levi could only record on weekends for five hours once every six weeks. Wow. 
I feel like because he was shooting Chuck at the time. Chuck, if I had yeah, to guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, was just, I, I was a Chuck fan. I watched Chuck. There you go. Um, like I said, for the one time Moore and Levi met, it was during a large recording of I See the Light. They recorded on a large soundstage with a 65-piece orchestra under the supervision of Alan Minken. They apparently sang live in the room with the orchestra a few times to get the vibe of the song, and they went to individual booths and recorded it that way. And speaking of the film's music, the only reason why we're here, uh, it would be Minkin's first animated film in six years. He would reunite with Glenn Slater, who was the lyricist for the songs of Home on the Range. Mm -hmm. And because the regime changed with Pixar employees coming over to Disney, sensibilities also changed. And Minkin saw this as his biggest creative challenge, saying he was having to find a way that we could wed musical theater storytelling with the Pixar style of storytelling. As I said, Minkin said he attempted to blend medieval music with 1960s folk rock to create the new songs. The first song he wrote for the movie was When Will My Life Begin? He said that he was thinking of artists like Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown for the opening number, but it took him a while to get there. He said he wrote at least six different versions of the opening number, possibly even more. He said the song in the song he had to start with establishing Rapunzel's life as of now before ending it with the want of the character, as we were talking about. Also, it's funny that Mandy Moore auditioned the Joni Mitchell song. I wonder if she didn't do that, <laughs> would she have not gotten it? Mm -hmm. uh, Minkin was aware while writing the movie that the movie had similarities to The Hunchback of Notre Dame. One big comparison was between Where My Life Begins or Where Will My Life Begin and Out There. So Minkin said he wanted to make sure he avoided the similarities. He said the big difference between the want was Quasimodo looks out and knows he wants to be out in the world, but Rapunzel is not sure. She's afraid. We have to want it for her. It was a challenge. There's also a very different energy for Tangled. For the song Mother Knows Best, Minkin wrote it because the directors were asking for a big musical theater moment. Many people have compared it to the works of Julie Andrews and Patti Lapone, with others drawing comparisons to Sondheim musicals and also Hunchback of Notre Dame, as we're saying, kind of comparisons to Frollo was the thing. Hmm. Um, several songs were written for the movie, but eventually cut for the final film. Well, My Life began replaced an earlier version called What More Could I Ever Need? And elsewhere reported there was originally a love song called You Are My Forever that Mother Gothel sang to Rapunzel in a motherly way and then later reprised in the film by Flynn Rider in a romantic way. This was replaced with Mother Knows Best and I See the Light. The score and the songs for the film would take about two and a half years for Minkin to write, is what it was. For the animation, the film had to overcome some te technology difficulties. In particular, uh, animating her hair turned out to be a challenge. Um, they spent six years writing programs to make it move the way they wanted. As late of January 2010, the directors were still not sure if Rapunzel's character's length of her hair was going to work. These problems were not solved until March of 2010. To, pre to, to show you, the movie was not released till November of 2010. So they, had a, they were working up to the last hour, it feels like. Uh, an improved version of her hair uh, was actually used through, or it was used through, through a, a software called Dynamic Wires, which was originally developed for Bolt. And it helped make the flow, make make the hair float, believably, basically. Mm. Uh, Glenn Keane said he was trying to make the computer bend its knee to the artist instead of having the computer dictate the artistic style and look of the film by making the computer becoming as pliable as the pencil 
Keen's vision of a three-dimensional drawing scene within reach with the artist controlling the technology. Many of the techniques and tools that required to give the film the quality Keen demanded did not exist before this project, and they actually had to create them. Um, for the character design of Flynn, they had a meeting called the Hot Man Meeting that the, <laughs> directors, the directors hosted, and they, they brought in all the female employees of the studio in one room and asked them for their opinions on what made a man good-looking in order to create Flynn's character designs with features such as eye color, hair color, style, and body type. <laughs> uh, video footage showed concept art and photos of various male celebrities, including Johnny Depp, Hugh Jackman, Brad Pitt, and Gene Kelly, and David Beckham. Those were the people. Wow. Some possible cast stuff. I think this is this might be kind of pre-production stage, but some names that were attached. Apparently, Natalie Portman was considered for Rapunzel, and her audition recording was actually used for a pencil test, so she was, I guess, pretty close. Uh, David Schwimmer and Burt Reynolds were cast in roles that were eventually decided to cut from the oh. movie uh, in pre-production stage. It's, when you said David Schwimmer, I was like, what? For uh -huh. Flynn Rider? No, I, I don't know who it's <laughs> supposed to be. Like, maybe yeah. Burt Reynolds plays the, like, uh, king, because the king has no lines. Yeah. Um. So, while they God, were God, what if at some point they, like, what if at some point, because I was going to say earlier when you were like, Maximus is really well done, I was like, I'm just so glad he doesn't talk. What about one, some point they had like David, David Schwimmer, Schwimmer as Maximus? <laughs> okay, and so we'll lead it. We'll go into aftermath here. As the mm -hmm. movie approached, uh, the movie was still being titled. Well, it was originally Rapunzel Unbraided, as we said. It was later titled Rapunzel. Well, after the underwhelming box office receipts of The Princess and the Frog, Disney decided that they wanted to. Um, capital try try to to market towards a different audience because because the movie had a character like Flynn Rider in it and the character Rapunzel they wanted to make it more kind of gender neutral for what the movie would be targeted towards mm -hmm. and that's when they changed the name from Rapunzel to Tangled and let's just say there was a lot of internal struggle and outward struggle from from critics about the title change. Floyd Norman, Norman, a former Disney and Pixar animator and story artist, Floyd, I think had, he had been a, he had been around since the early Disney days. So the, the idea of changing the title of a classic like Rapunzel of Tangled is beyond stupid. I'm convinced <laughs> they'll gain nothing from this except the public seeing Disney as desperately trying to find an audience. Mm -hmm. And essentially, they just wanted to cut out the word princess or anything that referenced a princess. Essentially, um. Justin Chang of Variety compared to changing the title of The Little Mermaid to Beached. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's Rapunzel. Like you, it's it's, it's not like it's IP. You got brand recognition. Yeah. Like it's such a bizarre call to be like, oh guys, people people are gonna hear about this princess story that they've known about for their entire lives and been like, ah, no, thank you. Yeah. So let's make the name something that doesn't have anything to do with it. And uh. Margaret uh, Magowan of San Francisco Chronicle wrote, uh, essentially said, can you imagine if Disney switched a movie title so it wouldn't risk highlighting a male star? And she was kind of commenting that, like, that they were, it was sexism from Disney. Oh, yeah, um, 100%. The directors disputed the thing, saying it was a marketing decision, saying they changed the title because it was not just Rapunzel's movie. Um, they said there's two equal characters, two, uh, kind of one starring duo, 
it would be like calling Toy Story Buzz Lightyear. They want to tell explained both of them. Um, yeah. Four years later, Laster said that Disney changed the name to improve the film's appeal to four quadrants. There mm-hmm. was an audience perception that these movies were just for little girls, but when boys, men, whatever, actually see these movies, they like them. So in Rapunzel, we changed the name and called it Tangled. We did marketing that made people who would not normally show up say, hey, this looks pretty good. So they did change it for that. And it worked, is the thing. I think (laughs) if it would not have worked, it would have been a much bigger deal, but it worked. And when the movie was premiered in Paris on November 17th, um, exclusively showing in Paris, I think, for, for two weeks, um of advance in advance of its wide release there um it would be a massive hit and the thing is they kind of needed it because the movie cost how how much do you think this movie cost thomas i want to see oh if you god i can't i i can't do animated movies i have absolutely no idea what the operating cost of an of an animated movie is like i, I can make a decent guess at a live action movie but um what? uh <laughs> One eighty. No. More. Two hundred. More. Two fifty. Close, but more. <laughs> Two seventy-five. <laughs> Two sixty. Two hundred and sixty wow. million dollars. It was labeled. It's it's the most expensive animated film of all time. Uh, on tied with the live action version of Lion King, um, which is not live action as this shows, um. And it's also one of the most expensive movies of all time. It's $60 million more than the next movie, which would be like Toy Story 3 and Cars 2 and all the Pixar movies. Wow. So, yeah, it's expensive. Mm. So they needed this to be a big... I think because it had been in in development hell for so long, they'd spent so much money trying to make it work. And they are probably throwing whatever they could to make the computer animation work. Um, It would gross $592 million at the box office with many wow. praising it as kind of a return to form for Disney animation. It made $200 million in the North America and $391 million elsewhere. It became the highest grossing and or the third highest grossing animated film of 2010 behind Shrek forever after and toy story three, but it also became the highest grossing or the eighth highest grossing film of 2010. Critically, it was, it was well received as well. Currently holding an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes an A plus by, by audience score. And most people commended it for being like an old fashioned Disney movie. There was some criticism for the film's music saying it felt almost like a rehash of older Disney films from the Disney Renaissance period. Hmm. But it would, it would prove to be just a massive hit for Disney. It received one, one Oscar nomination for I see the light for best original song. Uh, It spurred so many kind of, offshoots of of that with a video game with a short film that came out in 2012 there was also a television series Mm. uh, tangled before ever after and it ran for three seasons apparently which i didn't know i think Um, that was kind i think that was like a like an early launch for um when they when they did the like disney xd that was like the more animation like like when they were like Disney Channel is like Disney Channel is for like possibly yeah well it was 2017 live, yeah 
yeah like disney channel just became like just like live action stuff and then disney mm-hmm. xd became like disney animation uh I, i'm pretty sure tangled was one of that that yeah. tangled series was one of their yeah, kind of big titles for that channel and guess and guess what it was called because tangled before ever after was the tv movie that was the kind of pilot for it mm-hmm. the actual show is called rapunzel's tangled adventure hey there you go hey yes we finally well, brought rapunzel you back guys, you guys that that would have worked for the movie um yeah. Um, and Mandy Moore and Zachary Levi are actually, they do the whole show. Oh, nice. So there you go. Um, and yeah, and there's still talk of a sequel. Uh, most recently they mentioned it in 2020, but they said mainly because there hasn't been a sequels there that Disney's talking about doing a live action version of Rapunzel instead. So because of that there's the talks of it have kind of like ceased basically um and the directors didn't seem they were interested in doing a sequel to it basically um so with all that what worked about this movie thomas uh i mean i i i'm happy to have the musicals back after i i I like tarzan i I do like tarzan (laughs) but like that after tarzan when everybody kind of started doing that one it just it, it it really felt like they lost their way for a while and and i i yeah. distinctly remember kind of the one-two punch of princess and the frog in this one being and, and enchanted as well you know we didn't we yeah. didn't really um cover enchanted on here but um that the the kind of transition of enchanted and and princess and the frog in this was like oh okay we can kind of get this back we can get that disney magic back and you know maybe i'm a purist i don't know but the 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 kind of the boy movies always felt kind of pandery to me um so well especially when like every single one is that is what it feels like treasure planet atlantis like brother bear it feels like it's gearing more towards a younger male demographic Yeah. yeah meet the robinsons was the one that really lost me and and chicken little those two i stopped at chicken little that I, I never watched meet the robinsons to my knowledge um so yeah it's 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 it just like we were talking about at the beginning of the disney renaissance this is like oh yeah you guys it's there's a there's a nostalgia that that can be invoked in in fairy tales and and that sort of thing and and i do think this one it might lean a little too far into kind of the DreamWorks-iness of it for me, but I think yes. they do a pretty good job given what the time period was and given what the box office showings were. People obviously wanted that, and yeah. I think they do a decent job of, of balancing it. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard because it's like, and this it's almost fits in the did anything not work with it. It's that it's two competing ideas in the movie. And mm-hmm. it's weird because I think separately those ideas work is the thing. Like if you decide to make just like one pure musical, I think it works. If you decide mm-hmm. to make one pure adventure film, it works. I'm not quite sure if the, the, the balance of it works is the thing. Right. Um, but as a whole, it's entertaining work. And I think, I think the the cast is talented. We haven't really talked about the cast that much, but I think the cast is really good in this. Yeah, I think Mandy I mean, Moore's I'm, really I'm, good. Yeah, I'm I'm always gonna back Mandy Moore, uh, big Mandy Moore guy. The uh, Mandy Moore in in Princess Diaries was a was a probably yeah. my first like crush as a as a young man. Gotta say. <laughs> yeah, well, she's she's mean. That's that's what you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> attractive mean girl. <laughs> um 
Yeah, and she she and I liked her in Saved. Remember Saved? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was also as as someone who had an older sister, uh, Walk to Remember was on was at my as was on at my house a lot. Yeah, yeah. I never watched Walk to Remember. That wasn't that wasn't on my uh, rotation. Um, but I think she's great, and and Zachary Levi's good. I think Donna Murphy's really great. I think I really love her portrayal uh, performance in this movie. Um, I think Minkin does well. As I said, I think musically it works. Uh, with what it is yeah but, like like i was saying i think he knocks it out of the park with i see the light i yeah. think he they you know at some point he was like i'm just gonna give him a a good old-fashioned disney love song and and they bought it and and yeah i think i i have a dreams a fun one it is it's kind of like like you said i think gaston is kind of the best of that genre but it's that kind of mm-hmm. middle of the movie fun piece yep. and um they're not always the showstoppers but but they're good to have there yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that Mother Knows Best is like the best villain song that he's ever done, but it's it's no. it's a good one, and it's um, fun. And I definitely don't think Where My Life Begins fits with his kind of. Uh, I want uh, in, in the I, in the it's, the hierarchy it's, of the I want yeah, songs, which is I usually agree. his his strength. And I think he overplays it too much. Mm-hmm. Like he has two reprises, I think, or he might mm-hmm. actually have three. Hold on, because I know she comes back to it again before she leaves the tower with Finn. Yeah, and I, I think she, she comes. Two. Yeah, she comes back to it like after Mother Gothel like shuts her down. Yeah, and then Finn comes in, and then she comes back to it again when she's about yeah. to leave the tower. Yeah. I don't think he's ever gone that far with it. He's he's (laughs) like having one reprise is fine. Two reprise very close together. Feel like like, if he brought the reprise back in the back half of the movie, Mm. that makes sense. But it's like very, it's almost in the all first half. It just feels kind of odd. Like Mother knows best is kind of the better example where you have one kind of early on and one kind of later on. Mm. Um, But yeah. So did anything not work Thomas? Uh, you know, like I said, I, I I'm not totally sold on the computer animation at this point. It's still a little like shiny and plasticky for me. Um, there are some like you t- talked about the hair technology. The hair technology is very impressive, and uh, and I and 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 some of the uh, the motion works really well. I'll say yeah. that much. Um, like I was saying, with the way they're able to kind of pull off the the kind of Looney Tunes esque sequences, I think I think the movement works very well here. But but the the kind of character design of it all still leaves me kind of wishing this one had been hand drawn. Whereas when I watch, when I watch frozen, I, I don't, there's, there's never a moment watching frozen where I'm like, Oh man, I wish this was hand drawn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think by that point it kind of became seamless, seamless. And, um, so, so they're on their way there, but they're not quite there. That's yet. the hard part is that it's like, I feel like if you had this in 2d animation, there might be a better texture to it. Mm hmm. But in order for them to push the boundaries on what they will do later with with computer animation, you almost have to have the movie is mm-hmm. the thing. So that's the thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I just think the balance the balance is a little off. Where I I want to be one or the other, and I think you can combine adventure and musical if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that we're, we it feels almost like okay, this scene we have an adventure, and this scene we have a mu- song. Yeah, no music. S- 
no, no music, music in our it's, adventure scene <laughs> it just feels like it's so like it's like a, it's it's like just clunky is the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. where it's like song adventure romance scene song adventure like it's it's like and like you said too it's like because the songs are in montage it it tricks you into feeling it's still more of like like a, a soundtrack a soundtrack exactly yeah. is the thing so so yeah that's that's the big thing so film facts over forty five thousand lanterns are used during the i see the light sequence it's a lot of lanterns mm-hmm. uh in the kingdom dance scene there are over three thousand people present which is the largest crowd scene out of any other disney film at least up to that point oh and the oh this scene this is the first animated Disney princess film to get a PG rating by the MPAA. The previous Disney princess films up to that point were all rated G. I uh, I knew someone who was a preschool teacher who got in trouble because she she so no. showed this showed this oh, to her preschool man. class and some parents were like you showed my four year old a PG movie and you're like yeah <laughs> it's a horse like it's like. I mean, what what's probably the most PG stuff? Is it just like, is it Flynn and the horse? Is it? Yeah, is I guess it, it's just like general danger. Maybe someone getting. Yeah. I don't know. He gets stabbed, but people get stabbed. The the uh, uh, or his Gaston, mother Gothel, Yeah, his mother Gaston Gothel, stabs the beast. I guess Mother Gothel stabbing him. Yeah, and she's a little creepy. Yeah. I don't know. Um, last film fact: in the marketplace, when Rapunzel looks the mosaic of herself, the camera cuts from her eyes, the tile eyes, the picture. And very briefly, there is a clarinet musical motif that is exactly the same motif that's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, and he's staring at the painting at the high music? Yes. Apparently, Hmm. they they just pulled that from Ferris Bueller. Anyway. But awards, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actually, that scenes that kills it. Or you could say character here. I don't know. Like, is it Maximus? I think it's Maximus. I think it's Maximus, too. I think because he's limited because he doesn't have any words mm-hmm. i think and, and he, he also he doesn't get as much screen time as like pascal like i'd, I'd give no. pascal like supporting uh yeah uh but yeah maximus maximus is very limited to his screen time and comes through as is probably the better animal sidekick than like, pascal I love, I love the moment when like when he when he saves flynn with the and they're like up on the the roof of the castle he's like mm-hmm. no seriously thank you so much and he's just staring at him and flynn's like you're right we should go because it's just like his the stairs are just perfection <laughs> for maximus like they're really great mm-hmm. all right any pot sex factor award supporting actor actress that is the most memorable uh is that is it is it brad garrett is it the is it the little cupid interesting. guy interesting which one's the cupid guy that little, that little naked old man they keep winding down <laughs> like he's is cupid it, 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 on here it says it's paul f Tompkins. oh my god is is he the voice of that guy it says short thug huh that doesn't sound like paul f Tompkins, but huh. yeah hook hook hand thug is and this this one predate alan tudyk's not in this one right this is before he became their like Correct. go-to guy for disney yes. animation okay yes i mean you're not putting donna murphy here sure she's she's good you you it's a what who do you who do you want to pick your times we'll, we'll put we'll put donna murphy i like donna murphy in this but that's just me okay donna okay, murphy D- donna murphy that that's a very reluctant <laughs> uh, 
a reward a award I see there, Thomas. Um, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I could honestly, I could give it to Mandy Moore. I will go with you on Mandy Moore. I showed I showed my bias a little bit earlier, but um, for I think. As much as they tried to shift the focus of this movie yeah. away from from Rapunzel, yeah. Rapunzel is such a extremely likable and charismatic character, and and you got to give you got to give that up to her for a lot of it. Um, it could easily become the 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 Flynn Rider show, Flynn Rider movie, and they obviously yeah. wanted it to be the Flynn Rider movie, but it feels like Rapunzel's just too good to let that happen. Um, yeah. Well, you wonder too. It's like I feel like if Glenn Keane would end up directing this, I would have I probably would have given it to Glenn Keane because mm-hmm. I feel like some of the issues that we have possibly would have been solved. Because mm-hmm. I think Glenn Keane, because he was, and this is his assumption. Who knows? So in tune with like the '90s Disney Renaissance period and the '80s and mm-hmm. stuff, I think he would have been more forceful with certain things to maybe make it better. If that makes sense, or to make yeah. it more in tune with like what Disney was to make before, it to make it feel DreamWorks. yeah to make it feel yeah. more like a, a a Renaissance era one yeah yeah so I think I, so. I, so for that I'm gonna just shout Glenn Keane in general because it's sad that this wasn't his directorial debut I think his directorial debut was Over the Moon that came out on Netflix a few years ago that was nominated for an Oscar for best oh. animated film he did win an oscar he was the director of dear basketball from kobe oh yeah he was yeah. the director of that because he left disney in 2012 actually and said the tangled stuff was the big reason why because he realized <laughs> just how disney had kind of become too corporate essentially but anyway mandy moore for rapunzel i think is the gene hatman mvp award winner so congrats mandy moore pop right. star pop star mandy moore and so final questions for tangled I asked you before we started recording the show, Thomas, who would you cast in a modern remake? Because they're talking about it. Are they? Well, as I said, well, they said they won't. They won't do a sequel because they're probably do a, a live action live remake action. instead. They just they keep doing more time. Those. They keep doing those. Um, <laughs> okay. I've got I've got the main three. Okay, let's do it. Mother Gothel. Mother Gothel. You know who can sing? Tony Collette. Oh, that's a good one. I was I my other my other one was Susan Sarandon, but then I remembered that she was th- played this character in Enchanted. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Tony Collette could do this. I'm a big Tony Collette fan. Um, I like Tony Collette. Nobody lets her sing, but she can sing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Flynn Rider. Yeah, Flynn Rider. Taron Edgerton. Okay. He's had a little swashbuckling experience with that Robin Hood movie. Mm-hmm. But he's I like hearing it. He's, he's Kingsman. F- he's great in Kingsman. Yeah, he's funny. He's charming. He can sing. Yeah. Rocket Man. Uh, Rocket Man, sing. Sing one, sing two. I didn't I didn't see sing two. I had uh, sing sing one or sing two, so you got one on me. You're not missing much. Uh <laughs> and then Rapunzel. I've been I've been backing this person for a while now. Uh, she she should have been in she should have been in Wicked. Uh, but uh, I'm a big Dove Cameron fan. Oh, you've picked Dove Cameron before on here. Yep. Was it was it for 
Josie and the Pussycats? Did you do Dev Cameron on Josie and the Pussycats? What was it? Uh, I feel like you did. Maybe one other one. I can't. Yeah, I can't remember now which one. But uh, was she up good. for Wicked? Was she up? Was she up for Wicked? I don't think. I don't know. She. I'm sure she auditioned. Um, but uh, very good in Schmigadoon. But uh, great voice. Uh, very charming. Very good comedic uh timing i think in yeah. in schmigadoon for sure so i think she could sell i think she could sell this one um and has has had and she's, blonde and she's hair blonde. several times well she, has, she yeah she i think she goes back and forth between dark hair and blonde hair but she can pull mm. off blonde rapunzel hair she can't be well. blonde how so okay. how do you do maximus in in a live action uh rapunzel i mean do a real horse and then do you do some like di- like babe do some like digital manipulation but not like a cgi horse i'd be intrigued to see what a babe would be like in a modern sense like now like with like how would you craft that because that would be fun to see because i did war horse could be like war horse just a hmm. more comical version that was a very expressive horse in war it horse, was like, yeah. it was shout out war horse everyone hates mm-hmm. that movie i feel like but, uh, <laughs> that was pretty good i liked it well, not everyone hates it, but everyone knows just like, oh, that's like a bad Spielberg. I was like, yeah, he made thirty films, and that's not in his top ten, sure, because he made it's, masterpieces. Yeah, that's it's no Ready Player One. Come on, good. guys. Yeah, it's still good. It's not always. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. So, does this fit with like how, what genres does this film fit within? Reward that this time. I mean, like we said, this is this is a a somewhat jarring uh yeah. collision of a disney princess movie with a swashbuckler so i think i think those are the, definitely the the two at the at the forefront here i agree um fairy tale movie it's that mm-hmm. um but yeah uh and then how does this film fit within the works of alan minkin um you know i th- i think like we were saying with glenn keen like he, he there there's obviously he he's he's he feels trapped between two directives yep. here. He feels trapped between bring us back, bring back the Disney Renaissance. We lost it. We need it back, but make it for boys. And yeah. um, it's tough. That's a tough sell. And 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 like we said, it it he feels restrained because of that. The last couple of years of like soundtrack musicals and um, and and so I think it it holds him back from going fully into it um mm-hmm. he still turns in some some very good work but yeah. um but yeah it, it i think that those kind of directives of of keep it cool keep it male oriented uh keep it kind of prevent him from from really reaching the heights of some of his his earlier works yeah or, even, I know the, he, or even the middle era of his works middle works yeah yeah because i know at one point it's funny he i think he was asked could he, did he try to have a song for Flynn? Because Flynn doesn't have a solo song mm-hmm. in a very similar way that um, Beast. Beast doesn't have a similar a solo song. Phoebus doesn't have a solo Phoebus song. doesn't have a solo song. Um, so it's very interesting to think that the one, like, the one movie, Aladdin was the, the most, like, male-centric one we covered, and that uh, he has a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should have been more, like, if it was a traditional musical, you would that you would you, Flynn would have had at least one song. Like he could have had a one jump ahead. Yeah, during exactly. some of his stuff. Instead, he's just kind of quipping the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, what a place like this! Like, oh, this is amazing. Hey, fever is what he says at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think you could have had something like that, but they don't. And I wonder if that's a creative choice for Mencken 
or is that a like we don't want him singing thing i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know um it, it's interesting it, it feels like out of all the ones we've covered this feels like the most like non-traditional alan minkin one i guess you could mm-hmm. say because of those two different directives of hey do I- this but also do this you know, I just thought of all these actors they had playing the male leads that could sing, and then the but one time they sing. and then the one time they let them cut loose as Mel Gibson on Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> Was he? Did he actually sing in that, or did he have a? Did he have yeah, a that that one when he's like out uh, when it's like the the duo between uh, Gold, you know, Dig Boys, and then he's got a song about being out looking for adventure and and. Yeah. Um, all yeah. of my life is a song, 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 It says that um, although Gibson provides most of Smith's singing voice, Jess Harnell claims to provide 20% of Smith's singing voice. But so It's definitely, means... when he launches into that one, it's definitely Mel Gibson. <laughs> it... So Gibson does do at least 80% of the movie in singing. Mm-hmm. I should rewatch that. I haven't, I haven't seen that in, I don't know how long. Um, but, uh, yeah, you think with Kevin Klein, Robbie Benson, and Zachary Levi, you think, you know what? These people all have musical theater experience. Yeah, give them a song. Give them a song. But no, no, we didn't. Um, and Boys finally- don't sing. They have adventures. <laughs> um, so final month questions, Thomas. Are there any other Alan Menken works you would like to recommend here? We've covered a lot of them. Are there any you want to like shout out? I mean, I do. I do really like the um, the the music of of Enchanted. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that one was that that felt like such a big moment um, when it when it did happen that that like oh Disney musicals and and you know for it to be yeah. a live action and and have that also the 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 2d animation uh at the yeah. beginning um <clears throat> I, I can't say that i saw disenchanted though i did not uh did i not said either. good things yeah i think we might be covering uh we might be covering enchanted on the patreon if we can if i can work out the schedule with the person mm-hmm. um but yeah we're, we're, uh, but yeah i think that's also great um you know shout out star spangled man and captain america the first avenger you know <laughs> good work there um I mean, I, I like, I, I do like, and this is not a full thing I'll recommend, but I do like his edition of, of Evermore. Yes. And Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. I think that's a and home really for, great song. Home for the Broadway. The Broadway uh, really version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I think Evermore's <clears throat> great. And then, you know, we, we said we covered Hercules previously, but I yeah. love Hercules. And I think Hercules is such a great uh, kind of bringing what what he and Ashman did with with Little Shop and the idea of kind of Motown and having this this doo-wop group as yep. the Greek chorus. Because, you, you know, when they were making Little Shop of Horrors, they were like, oh, they're they're the Greek chorus. They comment on everything. Yeah. And so yeah. then sometime later, he was like. Oh, doo-wop group as a Greek chorus, a literal Greek chorus. And um it's just it's so good. It works so well in that one and, and the the act all the all the uh performers who, who play the muses yeah. are incredibly yeah. I, I love all that live action footage of them like recording all of that. They're so talented. Well I don't know if you remember this because it because we had it we had 
Amy was our guest on that mm-hmm. one. But the uh, the I guess a, a little tidbit for the people who haven't listened to the Hercules episode, go listen to it. But the original choices for the muses were the Spice Girls. Oh wow, that's what it was supposed to be. I'm glad they went with uh, who they went so with. But. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, yeah, Hercules is the one to check out as well. And then last question: What did you learn from this month, Thomas? You know, it's 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 just kind of like we do with our all tour months. It's just kind of watching everything in order and mm-hmm. watching it all together helps you to tie all those things together. I think we, you and I have had a lot of kind of organic discoveries on this month of like, oh, this is this. And like we were saying, he likes the the I want song with the reprise that that brings out, you know, the the here I am in this world and here's what I want. And, it, and mm-hmm. it's always you come back. It's like, oh, it's a fun intro to the character but then oh this is their heart's desire like mm-hmm. um and you know some of that stuff is is just musical theater basics but but it's really minkin and and ashman and his collaborators who brought that from mm-hmm. from broadway from uh something that many of us would not have experienced as children and and gave it to us as as children and and kind of helped us learn that so it's been it's been really cool to watch that and and be able to pull tie all these uh, strings between his his songs and the and his song structure and and when he brings a song in and when he um, and then I, I I do really think something I had not expected at all was to uh, really pay attention to kind of his scoring and 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 hear mm-hmm. his his film scoring in itself uh, like we said really really mature and and to hear him grow as a film composer was was very interesting no i i agree it's interesting you bring up the idea of access because that's true is that essentially you could argue that ashman and minkin especially starting out like kind of brought the broadway feel to to your to your bet to your, to your living room basically in a mm-hmm. way um yeah. to your local to your local movie theater because broadway while big with the commute with a certain community uh in America or elsewhere, it's just, it's hard to have at that point, hard to get access to it. It's just yeah. basically through CDs or vinyl maybe beforehand, but it wasn't really shown or seen in Tennessee or Georgia or Kansas, unless you had mm-hmm. like a local theater company. Um, but and, it's like, and a Broadway musicals three hours long. And yeah. many of the, film adaptations of many of the film adaptations of broadway musicals are also three hours long so so to you know condense it for kids and and aim it towards children i think is an interesting uh kind of way to bring culture to children but i think in a way too with these is that while it was aimed at children it still could uh, an adult could could enjoy it as well was the thing i think Mm -hmm. from being the beast onward um so yeah, I, I, that's a good thing to kind of bring up that they kind of became that it kind of introduced the musical theater type uh, template to um, a mainstream audience. And I've always we said this in Little Shop, our Little Shop Patreon episode. I think Little Shop is just a a just a perfect example, both in movie form and musical form, just how to write a musical kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I think it's a perfect example of a movie musical in terms of the type the I Want song, the established in the world your villain song, your love song, your falling in love song, all these different things. It's, it's really, it's really quite uh, just kind of pitch perfect and how it designs itself or how mm-hmm. it's structured and everything. Um, but yeah, I agree with all you said about what you learned from Minkin. 
uh, I, I, I'm more impressed with his composing in terms of musical scores than I was going into this. I mean, he ended up winning eight Oscars total um, throughout his, or has won eight o- Oscars so far in his career. Um, and that's impressive and should be uh, praised. And I think it's sometimes forgotten because, oh, he just did Disney movies. Um, as I said, I feel like they changed the whole uh, Oscars uh, musical like score category because he was winning so many Oscars is the thing. And they separated the them, and then he went back to just one score score Oscar. So, so yeah. But next month, Thomas, we're doing a hard left. I yeah. feel like this is a, this is a nice a nice little month of, of nice happy movies. Easy month, happy yeah. movie. You're nostalgic in childhood. But next month, we are talking dystopian movies, and. You might wonder. You might ask, "What are dystopian movies?" We're going to find out next month. But next week, our first episode, Thomas. What is our first episode of Dystopian Month? We'll be covering Alfonso Cuarón's uh, masterpiece. Am I showing my hand here? Uh, Children of Men. So, yes. strap in. Get ready. It's going to be a sci-fi heavy month. We haven't really done a lot of sci-fi. Is the thing like we never did like a full month of sci-fi um, or sci-fi adjacent in a way, but Dystopian Month is coming for you so be prepared uh yeah we'll talk about the world and all the things wrong with it and what these movies try to showcase um Mm -hmm. but also that's next month be sure to follow our patreon or subscribe to our patreon if you can we've talked about newsies this month kind of continue our good good companion piece for our main minkin episode type of kind of the live action like him trying to attempt to do a live action movie it'll probably be enchanted we haven't recorded it yet, but it'll probably be enchanted for the last one. So kind of continuing that theme of live action musicals with Minkin and Disney. So do that if you can. We have three tiers, the $1, $5, $10 tier. Um, you get exclusive content with each one, newsletter, episodes, all that good stuff. So do it if you can. We appreciate the people who are doing it so far. It kind of helps continue the show uh, in this form and helps us out, uh, which is kind of funding it. And we can actually put it on. So do that if you can. Also, if you're in Los Angeles area, be sure to come to our screening of Phantom of the Paradise on August 11th. Tickets are now on sale for the screening at the New Art, showing at 10.30 p.m. It's going to be a great show, new 4K kind of version of the film. It's going to be a fun, wild night. So come if you can for Phantom of the Paradise. But that is it. That's all we have for this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, and if you're a new listener of the show or a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, we have a dream, and that's to get five-star ratings from all you guys. So, yeah. you know? Help us out. Let's see those ratings go up, up, up. That's when my life will begin. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, TikTok, all those places. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.